If you have a Bible this morning, please turn to the book of Luke, chapter 18. If you do not have a Bible and would like to borrow one, uh, just slip your hand up and one of our ushers will bring one to you. I've been preaching through the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we'll be reading verses 18 to 30 this morning. Luke 18, verses 18 to 30. Let's pray before we read. Father, we do thank you that we have a solid rock, a solid rock named Jesus upon whom we might stand, a rock that will not sink underneath our feet. Lord, we do believe that if we trust in any other thing to save us, if we trust in our own selves uh, to save us, uh, Lord, that is sinking sand. And uh, I pray, Father, that as we look at your word again this morning, that you would place our our feet firmly upon Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. And a ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Amen. The the majority... The majority of this 18th chapter of the book of Luke here, pretty much the entire chapter, is all about entering the kingdom of God. Uh, Earlier in this chapter, a Pharisee did not enter the kingdom of God, while a tax collector did enter the kingdom. And in the passage right before this, which we looked at last week, Jesus talked about entering the kingdom of God like a child. And in the passage right after this, which we'll look at next week, a blind man will enter the kingdom of God. This chapter is all about entering the kingdom of God. Jesus is teaching us here in Luke 18 how to enter the kingdom or how to be saved. And in the passage we're looking at here today, Jesus wants us to learn from this ruler here. This ruler is an example of how you do not enter 
the kingdom. An example of the wrong way to try to enter the kingdom. You want to know how you don't enter the kingdom of God? You, you want to know how to keep yourself out of the kingdom and not be saved? Look at this ruler. The story can be broken up into two main parts. Look, uh, this, uh, Jesus first encounters this ruler, and Jesus then comments on his encounter with the ruler. We'll look first at the counter itself here. Luke says in verse 18 that a ruler asked Jesus a question here. Then by ruler, Luke probably means that this man is some sort of civic leader, uh, some sort of influential leader in his particular community. And this ruler here says to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And before Jesus answers his question, he first responds to the way the man addressed him. Verse 19, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And it's difficult to know for sure exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate right there. Commentators have come up with all kinds of possibilities. But I believe one thing Jesus was probably doing there was simply challenging this man's concept of human goodness. At this point in time, this ruler here thinks Jesus is a mere human. Just some human teacher, a a traveling rabbi of sorts. This ruler doesn't yet understand that Jesus is also God. He thinks Jesus is a mere human. And yet he addresses Jesus as good. He believes Jesus is a good human. And we might say the same thing about people occasionally. Uh, That man is a good man. He's just a good human being. And when we say that, we're typically comparing that person to other people. Compared to other human beings, uh, that man seems to be a pretty good man. He he follows the law. He picks up after his dog. He he mows his lawn. He recycles. Uh, Compared to the rest of the human race, That's a pretty good man there. And it's fine to speak like that about other human beings as long as we understand, as long as we understand that compared to God and in the eyes of God, no human being is truly good. God is the only one who is truly good in the ultimate sense of the word, the only one who is perfectly and infinitely good compared to God. And in the eyes of God, no human is good. We are all sinners who fall far short of true goodness. Romans 3.12, the Bible says, no one does good, not one. And I think Jesus recognizes that this ruler here, he doesn't get that. You you can tell from what this ruler says later in the passage, you can tell that this ruler here believes that human beings can be good in the eyes of God. Like a lot of other people in first century Israel at this time, this ruler believes that human beings, on the basis of their own effort on the basis of their own morality or the basis of their own good works, he believes that human beings can actually raise themselves up to the place where God then views them as good. And this ruler here believes that Jesus 
is a good human being. And this ruler here also believes that he is a good human being, a good man in the eyes of God. So Jesus challenges, I believe, his concept of human goodness. Why do you call me good, ruler? Someone, someone that you think is a mere human, why do you call me good? And more importantly, ruler, why do you call yourself good? Why is it that you think you are a good person in the eyes of God? The, one who's, the only one who's truly good is God alone. And Jesus then goes on and answers this man's question here. But man, if you look at the way Jesus answers his question, Jesus doesn't answer his question the way you might expect. I mean, this man came up to Jesus initially and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you you might expect that Jesus would just give him some simple answer here. Just believe in me. Trust in me. And you will have eternal life. You know, a lot of other people in the Bible, they ask the exact same question that this rich young ruler just asked. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And lots of other people in the Bible, when they ask that question, they get very simple answers. The, the um, Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, he, he said to Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. And Jesus could have said that here. What must you do, ruler, to inherit eternal life? Believe in me, and you will be saved. But he doesn't say that. Or or, or think about this. In, In the passage right before this, in verses 15 to 17, Jesus said that in order to enter the kingdom of God, you just had to receive the kingdom of God. Like a child. And Jesus could have said that here. What must you do to inherit eternal life, ruler? Just receive the kingdom of God. Like a child. But Jesus doesn't say any of those things here. Now look at verse 20 again. What must you do, ruler, to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Can you imagine me saying that? To a rich ruler who comes down the aisle and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I'll look at him and say, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, and so on. And it's a strange answer, it sounds like, from Jesus. But do you know what Jesus just did right there? He just pointed this man to the Ten Commandments. He just recited commands five through nine to him. And Jesus basically just said to the man, what must you do, ruler, to inherit eternal life? Do that. Do the Ten Commandments and you will inherit eternal life. Do God's laws, 
And, and man, why? Why did Jesus point this ruler to the Ten Commandments? Why didn't Jesus just give him a simple answer like believe in me or, or just receive the kingdom like a child? Why did, this, why did Jesus tell this man to do the Ten Commandments in order to inherit eternal life? This is why I believe. Because this man still thought that he could do his way into the kingdom of God. He thought he could work his way, thought he could earn his way into the kingdom. The emphasis in this man's question here is on the word do. What must I do to inherit eternal life? A literal translation of his question would be, having done what will I inherit eternal life? This man was all about doing. He thought that he possessed in and of himself the necessary strength and ability and willpower to do whatever might be required of him to enter the kingdom. Tell me what I got to do, Jesus, and I will do it because I can do it, Jesus. He thought he could do his way, work his way, earn his way into the kingdom. This ruler here, he was not yet ready to receive the kingdom of God like a little child. He wasn't ready to do that yet. In in order to receive the kingdom of God like a little child... You must first be like a child, as Jesus says in the previous passage. You you must be helpless like a child. You must recognize that you are completely helpless in and of yourself. Unable to do anything to save yourself or to bring yourself into the kingdom. In, In order to receive the kingdom like a child, you must first be like a child. Be helpless like a child. But man, this ruler here, he did not yet see himself as a helpless child. He still believed he could do what was necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven. He could do something to save himself. He thought he could do his way into the kingdom. So Jesus points him to the Ten Commandments. You want to do your way into the kingdom, man? You want to earn your way? You want to work your way into the kingdom of God? Do that. And listen, if you are here this morning thinking that you can do something to save yourself, you can do your way into the kingdom of God, then Jesus is saying the same thing to you this morning. You want to do your way into the kingdom of God? Then do that. Do the Ten Commandments. Do God's laws. (laughs) Listen, that is one way you can get into the kingdom of God. (laughs) You obey God's laws. The Bible says so. Galatians 3.12. Do them and you will live. Do God's laws. Obey God's laws. And you will inherit for yourself. You will earn for yourself eternal life. You will save yourself. If you will simply obey or do God's laws, do 
his Ten Commandments. And man, this ruler here believes that he's on his way. You look at verse 21 again. Jesus just told him to do the Ten Commandments. and, And he responds, he says, all these I have kept from my youth. I've done it. If that's all I got to do to inherit eternal life, Jesus, I'm good to go, man, because I am a keeper of God's Ten Commandments. I have kept all of these from my youth. Man, but here's the thing that the man failed to understand. In order to do your way into the kingdom of God, in order to work your way or earn your way into the kingdom of God by your own obedience, you must obey God's laws perfectly. You must obey God's Ten Commandments perfectly. Man, not just a perfect external obedience in your words and your actions, but also a perfect internal obedience in the thoughts and the motives of your heart. A perfect 100% through and through goodness. Matthew 5, Jesus says that if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery, breaking the seventh commandment. If you hate in your heart, you've committed murder, breaking the sixth commandment. In order to do your way into the kingdom of God by your own obedience, you must obey God's laws perfectly, obey the Ten Commandments perfectly, a perfect 100% through and through goodness. And no human being on this planet has done that except for Jesus Christ. The only one who is truly good because he is also God. But man, this ruler doesn't see it yet. Jesus points him to the Ten Commandments and and he looks into the Ten Commandments and he says, I've kept them all. I've done it. Man, his answer is crazy. His answer is crazy. I mean, he doesn't see the depth of God's Ten Commandments clearly, and he doesn't yet see his own sin in light of the holy perfection of God's Ten Commandments. His answer is crazy. J.C. Ryle says, quote, An answer more full of darkness and self-ignorance is impossible to conceive. And the man who gave the answer knew nothing rightly, either about himself or God or God's law, end quote. This man can't see his sin yet. So what does Jesus do? <laughs> well, he tells the man to do something. Gives him a test of sorts. <laughs> a test that would very quickly reveal to this man, a test that would show this man that he was not, in fact, a keeper of the Ten Commandments. You look at verse 22 again. When Jesus heard the man say that he had kept the Ten Commandments, when Jesus heard this, he, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And Jesus is basically saying, saying this, I believe, Ruler, you really think you've obeyed the Ten Commandments? You really think you're a good man who has kept God's law, really? (laughs) Because 
I can see right now one glaring area where your obedience is lacking, one very obvious area of non-goodness in you. You want me to show it to you, ruler? Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Right now. Go. Do it. Let me see it. Come and follow me as my disciple and you'll have treasure in heaven. You'll inherit eternal life. And Luke says in verse 23 that when the ruler heard this, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And you know what Jesus just did right there? He just tested the man on the Ten Commandments. He just tested the man on one commandment in particular. The first of the Ten Commandments where God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Man, you picture this ruler in your mind coming up to Jesus. This story is also recorded in the books of Matthew and Mark. They say that he ran up to Jesus, fell on his knees. Just picture him here. Man, he, he, he probably looked like he was keeping the commandments in some external, superficial ways. He may have never committed the very act of adultery against his wife. He probably didn't take a knife and murder somebody. He probably did look like he was obeying God's commandments in external, superficial ways, but he was not keeping them internally in his heart. Like all of us, Deep in his heart, this man had violated all of God's Ten Commandments, including the first. And Jesus just exposed one of his violations of the first commandment. Deep in his heart, this man had another God. A God he had put before the one true God. A God he loved more than the one true God. He had an idol in his heart, a false god that he loved, that he worshipped, that he clung to and adored more than God, and his idol was earthly treasure. Money. Possessions. Stuff. He had a lot of it. And deep in his heart, he loved it more than God. He wasn't a good man in the eyes of God, a lawkeeper as he thought. He was an idolater in the eyes of God, a lawbreaker. And Jesus just exposed it so that the man could see it. And do you know what that's called? You know what that's called when, when, when Jesus exposes this man's sin so he can see it? You know what that's called? Love. This story, this story here, as I said, is also recorded in the books of Matthew and Mark. And Mark says that, that when this ruler boasted to Jesus that he had kept all of God's laws, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And said, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. 
It was love in the heart of Jesus that caused Jesus to reveal this man's sin to him. And it is also the love of Jesus that causes Jesus to reveal your sin to you. Jesus reveals your sin to you because He loves you. Jesus reveals it, your sin to you because He loves you. He comes to you and He shows you that you're a lawbreaker in this life, that you're an idolater because He loves you deeply. He wants you to know that you are not, in fact, a good person in the eyes of God. As long as you still think you are a good person in the eyes of God, you will be kept out of the kingdom of God. Jesus wants you to know that you are not, in fact, a good person in the eyes of God. You are, in fact, a sinner who desperately needs a Savior. Jesus, He he wants you to stop trying to save yourself by your own works or your own efforts. When, when, When Jesus reveals your sin to you, He is telling you, You cannot make it on your own. You you can't do it. You can't possibly work your way into the kingdom. You missed it by a mile. You know what Jesus is doing? You know what he's doing when when he comes into your life and, and he reveals your sin to you? You know what he's doing? He's helping you to be like a child. He's helping you to be like a child. He's helping you recognize that you are indeed helpless like a child. A complete inability to save yourself by your own effort or morality or good works. He's forcing you to cry out like the tax collector in Luke 18, 13, God be merciful to me, a sinner. When Jesus shows you your sin, man, he is helping you To become like a child. And why? Why does he do that? Why does he help you become like a child? So you can then receive the kingdom like a child. No longer trying to do your way into the kingdom. A proud Pharisee who thinks he can earn the kingdom. But simply receiving the kingdom. A humble tax collector who knows he can't earn the kingdom. A helpless little child. Receiving the free gift of the kingdom by faith. Jesus shows you your sin to help you become a child in order that you might receive the kingdom like a child. That's love. Man, that's love. All of that is love. It might not feel like love. (laughs) Some of you know, man, when Jesus comes into your life and shows you that you are not, in fact, a good person, when he shows you your sin, that can be very, very painful, but it's love. He is preparing you to receive the kingdom. When you're proud, thinking that you can earn the kingdom, like this man here, Jesus points you to the law to show you your sin, to tear you down and humble you. Do that. Do that. Do that, proud man. Do that. If you want to earn your way into the kingdom. 
But as soon as you've been humbled underneath the law and you see it and you are crying out to, for mercy, Jesus doesn't point you to the law any longer. He points you to himself. Look at me. Believe in me and be saved. Receive the kingdom. Because everything the law is requiring you to do, everything that you have failed to do, I did it. I did it for you. In my death, my resurrection, my, my life, I purchased for you the kingdom. And I now offer it to you free of charge. Receive it like a child. Receive it. You ever heard the phrase, law to the proud, grace to the humble? Jesus does that. You're walking in your pride, not seeing your sin. He will point you to the law to break you down. But when you're broken down and you are humbled, crying out for mercy, he fills you with grace saying, look to me, believe and be saved. So Jesus in love, man, he shows this ruler his sin, his idolatry. And the ruler did not enter the kingdom at this point. He didn't do what Jesus said. He didn't sell all he had and give it to the poor. He didn't follow Jesus. Now the book of Mark says that he went away sorrowful, unwilling at this point, unwilling at this point to release his idol and embrace Jesus. Dante, Dante referred to this right here as the great refusal. The man now becoming a wandering star, haunted by what might have been. So that's the encounter that Jesus has with this ruler here. And Jesus then comments on the encounter. If you look at verse 24 again. Jesus, seeing the ruler had become sad, and seeing the ruler walk away sad and sorrowful, Jesus said, how difficult it is. For those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom. <laughs> and man, we desperately need to hear that here in this room because we are the wealthy of the world. Compared to people in other countries, the vast majority of us have a ton of earthly treasure. We are wealthy. And I just want you to look at it again. The Son of God, Jesus, God incarnate, just said, it is difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom. Difficult, tough, hard for the wealthy of the world people like us to enter the kingdom. And why? 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 Because the wealthy of this world so often refuse to release their idol. They won't release the idol. Refuse to release their false god. The god they have put before the one true God, the, the God they love and worship and, and, and cling to and adore more than the one true God. They refuse to release their idol of earthly treasure. Now, man, you've got to be careful when we read this story because Jesus is clearly 
not telling every wealthy person in the world here that in order to enter the kingdom, they must literally sell all they have and give it to the poor. Jesus is not saying that. There are many, many wealthy people in the Bible who entered the kingdom without selling everything. Boaz, David, Abraham, Isaac, Zacchaeus, Joseph of Arimathea. Jesus is not telling every wealthy person in the world here that in order to enter the kingdom of God, they must literally sell all that they have and become bankrupt. But please listen to me. In your heart, in the deep recesses of your heart, you do need to renounce or release all that you have in order to enter the kingdom. Luke 14, Jesus says it in black and white terms. Anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. In order to be a disciple of Jesus, in order to enter the kingdom of God, in order to be saved, I'm going to say that again, in order to be a disciple of Jesus, in order to enter the kingdom of God, in order to be saved deep in your heart, you must renounce or release or let go of all that you have in this world. You must release your idol of earthly treasure. And if you won't, you do not enter the kingdom of God. You must choose. You must choose. Your earthly treasure or the kingdom of God. You don't get to have your cake and eat it too here. You have to choose. Luke 16, 33, Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. You must choose. You cannot hold both your earthly treasure and the kingdom of God in your arms. You can't do it. No, in order to receive the kingdom of God, you must release your earthly treasure. A monkey, a monkey gets caught in a trap when he sticks his hand through a little opening in the trap and grabs a coconut. And the monkey can free himself from the trap, but in order to do so, he must release the coconut. And if he won't release the coconut, he doesn't get out of the trap. In order to receive the kingdom of God, you must release your earthly treasure. The man in Matthew 13, in order for the man in Matthew 13 to receive a treasure that he found hidden in the field, in order to get that treasure, he had to sell all that he had in order to buy that field and get the treasure. You have to make a choice. And man, please listen. Many professing Christians in this world have never heard that before. Many people who profess to follow Christ, they've never heard. They have to make a choice between their earthly treasure and the kingdom of God. And many professing Christians in this world have never made that choice. They, they are right now 
sitting in church services all over America thinking that they can have their cake and eat it too. Thinking that they can have both the kingdom of God and their idol of earthly treasure. And you know how that happens. A lot of times I think people like that, they walked into some church service when they were young and they were carrying their idol of earthly treasure under their arm when they walked in the door. And they asked somebody, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And somebody said, believe in Jesus. And that's great. But nobody ever told them that believing in Jesus, that receiving the kingdom of God, meant that you had to release your idol of earthly treasure. And now they sit in church service all of America trying to hold the kingdom of God and the idol of earthly treasure under their arm. That's not a Christian. That's not a Christian no matter what the person says. If you won't release that idol of earthly treasure, you know what Jesus will do? He will let you walk away sorrowful with your idol under your arm. He won't run after you and say, no, 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 you misunderstood. Just believe in me. That's it. Just believe in me. Come on, come on. Come back, sit down, tithe. Uh, He doesn't do that. If you won't let down that idol, he will say, go. And you know what that is? You know what that's called? Love. Love. Man, in order to receive the kingdom, deep in your heart, you must renounce or release your earthly treasure. And you know what? In and of ourselves, in in our own strength and power, none of us, none of us could or would ever be able to release our earthly treasure. (laughs) No way. This idol of earthly treasure, man, it is so stinking strong. You get a little bit of money in your life. You, you get a few possessions in your life and your heart and your hands grab hold of that and they hold fast to that thing. And in our own strength and power, none of us could or would ever be able to release that idol. You can't do it. It's got this gravitational pull that just sucks you in. You cannot release. It's absolutely impossible for a wealthy person in and of himself to release the idol and receive the kingdom. It is easier, Jesus says, for a huge camel with all its humps to go through the tiny hole of a needle than for a wealthy person in his own strength and power to release his death grip on that idol and receive the kingdom. It's impossible for man to do it. Impossible. But you know what? God can do it. God can do it. Verse 26, the people around Jesus, man, they hear Jesus talking about, man, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And they call out, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, with man it's impossible. But with God, It's possible. Man, it might be impossible for a wealthy man to pry his own fingers off of his earthly treasure, but God can do it for him. God can move upon you in your life and cause you to let go, release 
your earthly treasures and receive the kingdom. Man, God can break the spell. Thank God for that. And man, how does God usually do that? How does, how, does God, how does God cause somebody to let go of their earthly treasure and, and receive the kingdom of God? You, you know how he does it? He simply opens your blind eyes and he shows you that if you will release your earthly treasure, you'll get something much better in return. He shows you, opens your eyes, He shows you that if you will release your earthly treasure, you will actually receive a much more valuable heavenly treasure in return. Listen, you will never truly, you will never, ever, ever truly renounce or let go in your heart all that you have in this life and receive the kingdom of God unless you are convinced that you're going to get something better in return. You won't do it. You can tell yourself, oh, I got to renounce this thing. I just got to deny myself, deny myself, deny myself. Got to renounce it, got to renounce it, got to renounce it. But do you know God never comes to you and just tells you to renounce things? He doesn't do it. That's not Christianity. God doesn't come in here and just say, deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself. No, God never tells you to deny yourself without promising you that you will receive something much better in return if you do deny yourself. You can look all the way through the Bible. When God, promised, when God tells you to deny or renounce yourself, He's always giving you promises of something better that you will receive. You will never release this hold on your earthly treasure until you believe that you will actually receive much, something better in your return. But man, as soon as you believe that, as soon as the Holy Spirit moves on you and opens your eyes and convinces you that you will receive something better in return, The second you truly believe that, you know what you will do? (laughs) You will release your idol of earthly treasure with joy. Like the man in Matthew 13, when he found the better treasure, he joyfully sold all that he had because he was getting a better treasure. You will joyfully release the inferior earthly treasure in order to receive the superior heavenly treasure you go all in with joy and man jesus wants you to know here in this passage (laughs) he wants you to know that if you will release your hold on your earthly treasure you will receive something much much better look at verse 28 again the disciples hear jesus telling this ruler that he needs to sell all and give it to the poor in order to receive the kingdom. And Peter, Peter, Peter pipes up and says, see, we have left our homes and followed you. We have left everything, Jesus, to follow you. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life there it is everyone who renounces or releases in his heart all that he has in this life for the sake of the kingdom of god will receive many times more it's an incredible promise you got to love jesus's math man you got to love it that right there is called addition by subtraction you got to lose something. 
you got to renounce all that you have in this life, but you actually gain much, much more. You get the kingdom of God. Man, that's the greatest trade-off in human history. You're given pennies for trillions. You're given all the little stuff you got in this life away, renouncing it, and you're receiving the kingdom of God. This invaluable treasure. And Jesus says you'll receive it in this life and in the age to come in heaven. And man, what is this heavenly treasure that, that you receive when, when you release your inferior earthly treasure? What is it that you receive? Well, you receive the kingdom of God, or we could say it like this, you receive Jesus. When you release your earthly treasure, you, you get Jesus And everything that goes with Jesus. You get the forgiveness of sins. You get peace and rest in your soul. You get the love, joy, hope in your soul. You you get his friendship, Jesus' friendship in your life. You you get his compassion. You you get his kindness and his care for you. You get a new family called the people of God, the church. You get the very presence of God in your life now, and you get the very presence of God in your life forever. (laughs) You get Jesus, and man, and all that goes with Jesus, the kingdom of God, and Jesus and his kingdom are worth many times more than anything you have in this life. And man, listen, God is right now offering Jesus and his kingdom to you. And how do you get it? Here it is. Here's the simple lesson of the rich ruler. Here really, I think, is the simple lesson of all of Luke 18. And just a couple different quick points. You ready? Here's the lesson of the rich young ruler. You ready? Stop trying to earn the kingdom. That's pride. You cannot do it. You have failed to do it. You're a sinner. Humble yourself and confess it. Confess your helplessness and your need for mercy. That's one. Number two, release your earthly treasure. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You must give something up in order to gain something better. And number three, receive the kingdom of God. Like a child. Receive it in faith. And you know, that's really what faith is. Faith is a receiver. It receives things from God. It trusts in those things. Now, faith will ultimately end up doing, but faith initially is a receiver. Receive the kingdom. Stop trying to earn it. Release your earthly treasure. Receive the kingdom. Man, you do that, and you just receive many times more than anything you could have ever imagined. An infinitely valuable treasure now and forever. You you sang about it earlier. Wilbur Chapman's famous hymn, Jesus I do now receive him. More than all in him I find. He hath granted me forgiveness. I am his. And he is mine. So Father, we thank you for your word. And just humbly confess, Lord, that in our hearts we are all idolaters. Our hearts are gripped by so many things in this life where we run after those things. We don't want to leave them. Lord, we'd rather uh, try to do our way into the kingdom than let go of our idols. Lord, we just 
humbly confess we cannot work our way into the kingdom. Our hearts are gripped with these idols. Lord, we do believe that the thing that causes our hearts to release our earthly treasure is seeing a much better heavenly treasure. So Father, I pray you give us faith to see Christ this morning, to see Christ in all His glory, to see the kingdom of God in all its glory so that our hearts might release earthly treasure and run after Jesus. May He be our vision all of our days. In the name of Jesus, amen.